Hello, my name is Damilari Fan of Resilience for Security, and today we'll be talking about why cybersecurity risk matters for small businesses and how small businesses can assess and address cybersecurity risk. Folks, thanks so much for making time today. I mean, it's it's just about a long time, so you really could be doing anything else. Uh, what you've made our time to spend with uh, with us for this talk. So I just want to start by saying that we we honor you speaking on behalf of Cahoots uh, and Residence of our Security. We honor you and we appreciate your time. Today, like Chelsea introduced, we're talking about why cybersecurity risk matters for businesses and how businesses can, can learn to assess and address those risks. And um, before we get going, just a little bit about me. So I've got just some information there. In fact, let me close this screen so it, does not, it doesn't confuse us. Uh, so a little bit about me, the first line, I, it's, that's a little funny. I wonder, maybe I was just trying to emphasize that I'm human, <laughs> I'm not a, a cybersecurity bot. A few other things that I love, and then founder of Resilient Software Security, um, a cybersecurity firm really focusing on software security for cloud apps, SaaS apps. I wrote a book on IoT security designing IoT systems to be secure. I used to work at Intel and I also used to work at McAfee. And so that being said, <laughs> blah, 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 right? It's not about me. Um, it's not about my history uh, today. It's really about you. And uh, my greatest hope really with this conversation is that what we talk about here um, provides value to you. That's really why Cahoots is around. And that's why we're glad to have the opportunity to partner with them in this way. Now, before we go on, one thing I want to say as well is that for me, the, the software security, cyber security thing really got started. My interest in this space got started years ago when a software app, a software startup essentially that I was working on got hacked. And as it got hacked, man, it just really changed the, the game in terms of how that software came to market. And some of the doubts that people had were just heightened. And so I got curious about, okay, what is that intersection? I've just been focused on software, but now I was thinking, you know, what is that intersection of making sure that people can develop and release products, um, cyber systems, software systems that are actually secure? And so that got me onto this path and down the line to this conversation today. All right, so as we move on, what we hear about cybersecurity a lot. There's a lot of buzz. In fact, one of those buzz phrases, cybersecurity, like you might hear about, say, AI, for instance. And the question then becomes, why should anyone care? And so I'm curious to just give a few moments. What do you think? Uh, why should we care about cybersecurity risk? Anyone? I think we should care because we don't want to get hacked. That is true. I guess <laughs> you're right about that. The question then becomes, why don't we want to get hacked? Uh, what could go wrong? What, what are the concerns, so to speak? I'm curious to see if anyone on the call has any, any thoughts about that. And we won't stay here too long. I just want to, you know, have a conversation if possible with this. Yeah, feel free to add your, open up that chat if you'd like and add your answer there. We'd love to hear from you. I will give another few moments. And I should, I should have said this before as well. We're going to have some time for questions at the end. But if there's a question that you've heard earlier, please feel free to, to chime in. 
So Marissa just chimed in on chat. She says she has confidential client information to maintain. So yeah, that's a reason to care for sure. Reason to care because we like like you mentioned, you out to to serve your customers, you out to serve your clients, and they put a lot of trust in you. So that information, if you were accessing appropriately, all of a sudden they're looking at your business differently. Your reputation and the trust relationship that you've got with your customers are affected. Uh, the any other comments before we move on? Okay, so let's go ahead. Another thing that I find really interesting with cybersecurity is that it really is not going away. Because as buzzy as it sounds, it, it, it's it's less about tech in a sense, it's about people. Because if you were, con were considering the physical world, people have always tried to subvert the rules, to, to, to use shortcuts to get money. For instance, people have always stolen. And so in the cyberspace where technology just becomes another means by which we do that, that is not going away especially as our lives increasingly just move down that path. It's not going away, which gives us the, it heightens the responsibility, so to speak, for business owners to learn how they can do the right things um, to protect their business, to protect their customers. All right, so now let's look at a few numbers just to center us. You might have seen this in the intro uh, uh, to the event on, uh, to the webinar on Eventbrite, but let's center ourselves a little bit as we go along. So for starters, this is a big number, about $1 trillion US dollars a year. Now we're looking across the world globally as lost due to cybersecurity attacks. Uh, so this could be due to the cost of fixing the issues, due to uh, the legal fines and, and paying out folks um, who, who have legal rights to sue. And in some cases, it's just paying for ransom and all of that stuff. And it's just a loss in revenue due to lost trust. So $1 trillion across the world, that is a huge number. Now, when we think about small businesses as well, uh, there's the average cost in the US across all small businesses, it's $25,612. Now, the interesting thing as well is that even for small businesses, as we'll talk about a little bit further, small businesses are so important to our systems, to our economy that they're increasingly a target. And usually for most businesses, this is the average cost for most businesses that get uh, attacked the cost is usually a lot more. Now, like I was just saying, unsurprisingly, not just in the US, if you look across the world, the backbone of the economy is small businesses. To me, it's just mind blowing. As I look at the numbers, perhaps it should be obvious, right? 99% of businesses across the US are small businesses. Now the big players, the big cops, yes, they've got a lot of people and they do a lot of good work, but the backbone are the small businesses. Attackers are not unaware about that. Uh, there's perhaps also this sense that uh, many small businesses are not positioned to handle cyber attacks well. I think there are perhaps two reasons for this. Uh, one of them just being that sometimes small businesses think, okay, we're too small. We don't quite matter like that uh, for cyber attackers. Or oh, the other one is that uh, sometimes the, the vendors or the experts in the cybersecurity space are focused on the big cops where they think there's a lot of dollars. And so there is sometimes you don't have enough attention being paid to small um, medium businesses. And that's why I'm really excited um, to partner with Cohoots to, to give this talk because one of the reasons why we started 
President of our security was to say, you know, what is possible? That was one of the driving passions. What is possible with looking at the small and medium businesses space and coming alongside business owners, coming alongside business leaders to help their clients? Now, this one is it's perhaps even more scary. So 60%, we'll have one example a little bit later on, but 60% of small businesses, in particular, close after six months when they've been attacked. Okay. What is cybersecurity risk? Uh, as we delve into this, uh, we'll, we'll discover that when we consider risk in the cyberspace, uh, the, what, what it means, and a lot of what cybersecurity principles mean, uh, they are rather intuitive because we deal with risk on an ongoing basis in our lives. And uh, so I'm curious as well, perhaps this one is kind of sensitive to ask, um, but I'll, I'll lead first with the answer, which is, when we think just in our lives, what is your, what, what are, what's one of your biggest fears, shall we say? So I can lead first and say, when I was a lot younger, uh, one of my primary fears was the fear of failure. I've gone through, it's interesting to see the different phases. So the fear of failure first, and I proceeded to uh, the fear of not fulfilling my potential. Then one of the things that I wrestle with these days is, uh, I really do believe that you know we're gifted in different ways. So there's a purpose and a design for us in different ways. And sometimes I'm 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 afraid of not fulfilling mine or maybe pursuing the wrong thing. So that is one fear I've got not fulfilling my calling. And so I wonder about you if there's anyone who is brave enough to share as we just try to relate how we consider risk in the in the physical world, so to speak, to what goes on with the cyber with cyberspace. So what's one of your biggest fears? Anybody brave enough to share? I'll go first. I'll break the ice a little bit. Um, I, I've had in the past my own business, and one of the things I was always concerned about was when pay, people were paying, having a secure payment method um, or a secure payment system um, to process payments for business. That's always, that's always kind of on my mind, like, oh, my gosh, like if someone got into that system and was able to, take that sensitive information. Marissa said that website getting hacked is what she she fears. Yeah, that is, both of those are good because I mean, payment information is really sensitive. And when your website gets hacked, there's so many different things that could be possible there. So we're thinking about risk. Uh, and the, what I'm trying to pull out of that is that we think about risk just regularly in our lives. And that's the same, we, we, then, we really just put some extra layers when we then think about cybersecurity risk. So when we think about risk, usually it's about the potential loss, potential loss of reputation, potential loss of customers, for instance, or to use a super generic example, if you're, if for, for those who cycle or just for cyclists in general, uh, if you're a cyclist on a busy road, really busy highway, uh, there's some risk of a car accident. And when you think about risk, you're thinking usually about the likelihood of a car accident occurring as against the impact of that accident on a really busy road. Because if you're on a dirt road where cars don't even frequent, there's a very low risk. Um, if somehow you were hit, that's a dirt road, the impact is likely less. So long story short, when it comes to risk in general, it's usually around the potential loss and then we're thinking as we analyze that it's the likelihood of a bad event occurring as against the impact of that bad event. So that being said, we really can summarize cybersecurity risk 
using that those premises we had a few layers whereby cybersecurity risk for a business we can define it as the potential loss of operations your ability to to to, to provide your services loss of trust loss of reputation or loss of profit due to a cyber attack that is what cybersecurity risk is so for example and we just have a few examples uh, in our presentation. So for example, um, if there were a photo sharing mobile app that allows people to share photos of say a sensitive nature, maybe it's medical photos or just photos of family and restrict who can access those photos. Now, if there were a cyber attack that exposed the passwords, that there's a potential loss there, which is that uh, there could be in that case now a drop of existing users because there's concern about what they can share and what they can store via this app, which can then lead to even less new users, which can lead to um, a significant drop in terms of revenue. And those percentages are just examples, but I hope that you get the idea. The potential loss from exposure of passwords ending up many times with the bottom line for the business, and sometimes actually hurting people um, uh, in the real world, or shall I say physically, as well. Now, how do we assess risk? We already talked about the main items earlier, and so now we're just going to use them. We talked about the likelihood of a bad event as against the impact of that bad event occurring. So in the cyberspace for a cyber system, what really does that look like? Uh, let me make sure I'm not hiding something here. What does that look like in for a cyber, cyber system, I should say? We're once again looking at our environment because if we go back to that example with a cyclist on a busy road, you're looking at the capabilities of the cars. These are pretty big vehicles. They're moving fast. Uh, sometimes the people who are driving them uh, uh, will be, shall I say, distracted. That's the right word. And then so you're looking at that environment, essentially, the capability of, of your own uh, technology in that case, which is the, the say, the, the, the bicycle that you're riding and putting all those together. So for, for your business, for your cyber systems, you're doing the very same thing. Looking at the business, what kind of customers do you have? What kind of risk can they afford? And what goes wrong if they're affected? What are the people as well? And in, the, in, in terms of the people, you're not just thinking about the people as users, you're thinking about the people who are developing your system as well, or the people who are responsible for the security of the system. The technology, the capabilities of your technology, you're also looking at that. And then the environment that your technology and your systems operate in. So that's what you're looking at as you try to um, assess cybersecurity risk. And now we have another example. So we still go with that scenario of the photo sharing mobile app, but we could say then that the market, it's a general consumer market. There can be users anywhere, just anyone with a mobile phone. And in terms of the technology, you've got, okay, an Android app, and you've got some backend server. Uh, so for instance, for the backend server, you might be, you might be aware then that, okay, there could be some backend APIs that you're exposed to the mobile app that anyone might be able to access. So all of those different configurations are important. Then the people, okay, I've got junior to senior developers, for instance, building this system, whether in my own establishment or in some other, uh, some other partner that I've contracted this out to, who could have differences in, in shall we say, in secure design skills. And then, like I mentioned previously, 
I was touching on the last one, which is the environment, global access to the app, wherever anyone who has the app can try to send some data through it. And then your API that is exposed at the backend can all, will always have to be on in some fashion. So anyone might be able to send data to it. So that gives us a sense there um, of that analysis of the environment as we try to assess uh, risk. And really what we're trying to do with that is we're trying to build something that is called a threat model. Uh, and a threat model really is just looking at your system to see what, what, you should be, what you should be concerned about, what is possible from a cyber attack standpoint, what risk level is there, and how do you bring your system to a desired secure state? So for starters, you're looking at your jewels. What do you care most about? It could be credit card information, confidential user data, um, like Marisa said, and then you have attack points. When we consider our homes, so let's consider some office premises, you're always gonna be attacked at an entry point. Usually it's gonna be at a gate or a window or a door. Same principles for a cyber system. So what are the entry points to those systems? Is this some network interface? Is this some web API? Is it the user interface on, on the browser, on the mobile phone, all of those things. Then the attacker profile, all, all of this, I love how they're, quite, they're kind of intuitive if you just lean into it. Because the attacker profile, if we consider once again our home, are we concerned about some big burly folks coming to attack us or some kids throwing, uh, throwing rocks? And that takes us to the potential attacks. Are we concerned about grenades? Are we concerned about uh, stones, for instance? Then risk is where we then try to quantify um, how much risk, how high is the risk? And we'll talk about this in just a little bit. So we, we, we take that information, all of this information, and then we use it to identify, do we have high risk? Do we have medium risk, for example? And once again, as we calculate risk, we're looking at the likelihood of this attack occurring, as in, in relation to the impact of the attack, say on our jewels, for instance. And the last element we have there is the mitigation, which is, okay, what can we do? What feature can we implement? What controls can we bring into, into either our software system or into, into our, just our network that brings our system to a disaster secure state, uh, especially for this particular attack? So one thing I should say is that we're going to go, when one is building a threat model, we go through all of this, we go through this process of drills, attacks, attacker profile, uh, and then we identify risk and mitigations in particular for the different kinds of attacks that we consider possible. So threat models are one of the things that Resilient Software Security does for any customer that we get to work with. Uh, we also have some video courses um, on our website that you can check out when you get the chance uh, that cover threat modeling. So the different elements I just mentioned it covers it in a lot more depth. I think there's about five videos in particular that go into depth about threat modeling. And so we, we have that resource and we'll be adding videos, more videos every month on different topics around our cybersecurity or specifically for our software security. And I noticed we have a question. I just added your link in oh, to the okay. chat. So we're good. Thank you so much. Chelsea. All right, so now how do we actually measure and prioritize risk? Um, in this case, we'll, take, we'll then take some of the information that we just covered, and then we'll go into actually quantifying using a simple method in this example, um, likelihood of a bad event as against the impact 
of about events. And then we use that measurement to then do some prioritization. So there are different ways to go about this, but the, a super simple method is just really this weighted scale of probability against impact. And yes, this requires, it, it, it can be somewhat subjective uh, in that it requires that one has an understanding of the system and usually requires that one has some uh, insight into uh, how attacks work uh, and the, the, the probability of those attacks uh, as against to how they relate with the, with the jewels that you're trying to protect. But I won't say it's a holy grail that only, a few, only some people can do, but usually it needs some insight into the system and insight into how attacks work. So we use this scale, for instance, let's say um, if, there, if the probability of a bad event occurring, probability of a car uh, crash occurring were high, and then the impact for whatever reason of that car crash would be low. And in this case, we just map, map, match it on that grid and the risk is medium. Why do we do this? Usually we do this so that we can prioritize how we go after the issues that are in our systems. For instance, you might be constrained in terms of the number of people or just the time. So in, a, in an ideal world, you wanna fix everything. But we use this particularly as against every single attack that you think is possible. And you use that to identify which ones are high, which ones are medium, which ones are low, such that which you're trying to figure out which ones do I need to fix right away? Which ones can I fix a little later? And which ones can I fix, you know, will be all right fixed maybe some weeks down the line. Having understood this and prioritized this risk as high, say medium, and things like that, we then have to make a decision. Do we do anything about it? And that's where we have this different responses to risk that virtually every business will have to make. And sometimes we respond in a particular way just without knowing already we've had a response because to accept the risk is to do nothing about it. And usually when you, are, when you are aware of a particular risk for a software system or for your cyber system, you usually accept that risk when it is exceedingly unlikely that that attack would ever occur. Or even if, we, if it's gonna be way too expensive um, uh, for an attacker to carry out that attack and actually gain anything from it. So in that case, one just decides, okay, this is really not gonna happen or we don't expect this to happen at all. And so we just accept that, that we accept that risk because we think uh, it's not worth fixing. Some other times what we do is to transfer risk. And sometimes you transfer risk to your customer. So it's super, I'm using super simple examples here. Uh, please uh, feel free to contact me if there's some things that we don't get to hash out even through the questions. In this, in this particular conversation, but sometimes we transfer the risk. And when we transfer risk, what we're doing is we're basically saying someone else is gonna pick it up. So for instance, simple example, if you've got a system that some particular kind of inputs could make it lose power, you could then say to your customers, hey guys, you know, when you're using our systems, uh, make sure you have a power backup, but you gotta document that really, really well in your system. And the very last one has to do then with Mitigation. Mitigation is the situation whereby you actually do something technically in your network or technically in your software system to address and to, to eliminate the, the possibility of a particular attack occurring successfully. So as, a, as an example here with our photo sharing mobile app, so the jaw could be user credentials 
the attack point could be the backend API that this mobile app has to communicate with. For an attacker profile, we could see an automated bot because when you put a system online these days, um, bots that have been configured to look for certain weaknesses in, in, in web apps, for instance, automatically start, will find your app most times in as few as, as low, let's say minutes or at the very least in hours. So attacker profile automated bots, we can also, there are also different ways to describe the attacker profile. For instance, we can describe attacker profile in terms of our, um, their interests or capabilities, say cyber criminal as against a nation state. Um, or and on, in this case, we can also say that, that the attacker profile is an, un, an unauthenticated user. So a user who is not authenticated to your system, that's the profile. So the potential attack, this is just an example, uh, is password guessing. And this actually happens with those automated bots. The risk, now we bring what we just learned about, the risk, the, the likelihood of this uh, occurring, some, uh, a, an automated bot trying to guess your user's passwords uh, as against the impact, both of those are high. So the risk here will be high. And one mitigation that one can implement um, in a system, in this app, as an example, is to time out after some insecure logins. Because usually what is happening is that, that automated tools are used to compute and try thousands of combinations. So after maybe five, five or whatever number of logins you, you want to configure for, you could time out for a few minutes, which makes it really difficult for this automated bot to be able to get at your uh, to be able to guess the passwords of your users. Okay, I hope y'all are still with me. I could see that some, I think there might be some questions in the chat. I saw some things popping up. So I look forward to, to having a chance to dive into that. Chelsea, do we have some questions now or should we? Nope, we're good to move on. I had just mistyped. I put a typo in my, when I had shared that last link. So we were just going back and forth. So we're good to go. <laughs> All right, so we've talked about really the essence of a lot of the things we want to cover, what cybersecurity risk is for our businesses, and how do we assess that risk? How do we analyze our environment and our systems, and how do we then prioritize risk? So in this particular section, we just want to look at some of the, we want to look at eight common problems um, around cybersecurity. We want to look at real world costs of those problems and then some recommendations for addressing those problems in your software systems, um, in your cyber systems. The very first one is, has to do with the cloud. Uh, most, most of our technologies these days, most of our apps are based in the cloud. Increasingly, our technologies are cloud first. And usually what happens is that cloud providers like AWS or Google provide a lot of really good features for their customers to secure those, their, their cloud apps and cloud infrastructure properly, but it's up to the customers. Uh, so when, the, when there's insecure configuration or bad configuration of, the, of your cloud infrastructure, or you don't have the right backup or recovery, things could go south really quickly. So the example here is this startup, which really was a viable business. Somehow attackers got access to their AWS uh, infrastructure and just deleted deleted data machines, deleted data stores, and the next day, this viable business was out of business, essentially. So high-level recommendations, well, there must be a backup and recovery plan. 
some other was not in case for code spaces. And there should be, there should be really strong authentication, which will make it very hard for attackers to get into your infrastructure, because essentially that is your IT system that is in the IT environment that is in the cloud. Then monitoring and auditing, how do you decipher when uh, suspicious people are accessing your cloud uh, systems? We use open source a lot these days. And why not? Because it really can, it seems at least like it reduces the cost. On the one hand, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. And so it seems like it reduces the time to market. But what usually happens as well, open source is that we're actually maybe like we're, we're delaying the work. We're just increasing our debt because when we bring in open source components, we're really adding to the pile of stuff that we have to be responsible. Even though we didn't write it, we've got to be responsible for how we maintain them in the systems that we build and the systems that we put out. So in this example, there was there are some open source components and they are updated, for instance, at different cadences, issues can be found in those components. But specifically with Equifax, they had a vulnerable component in their web server, a vulnerable uh, Apache component. And so you have this situation whereby a lot of times attackers are able to use tools, commonly available tools to probe web interfaces. And based on the response that you get, you can decipher what version of a web interface, of what version of a web server, for instance, um, is being used. And in this case, it was easy to then discover that there was a vulnerable version, which had most likely had already been updated by the providers of that component, but had not been updated in Equifax's system. So, oh, these guys have got a vulnerable version of a component here. And then we just, we use publicly available information to attack that system. The last 40 million records, it cost them $1.7 billion to clean all this up. What's the recommendation here? Uh, your, your development environment, whether in-house, whether contracted out, has got to be a way for you to monitor and update the third-party components, the open source components that you're bringing into your software system. And there are tools that help us to do that. Weak or insecurely stored passwords. Well, this one is perhaps it's, it's one of the very commonly known ones, but perhaps interesting as well is that now one could try, it's right to protect your, your app in such a way that you wanna make it hard for anyone to get at your database on your server in any case. But if you've got users, you're storing data on the server, uh, you're storing passwords on someone on your server and you've choose store the password securely such that even if an attacker were able to access your database, they will not be able to access people's passwords. And that is what did not happen well in LinkedIn's case a few years ago, whereby some of the passwords, there's a way you scramble them such that you can check that it's the right password as against um, uh, the right user can still log in, but it's very difficult for someone who doesn't know the password to discover what it is. And they didn't do that properly. Millions of accounts were compromised. It cost LinkedIn over $4 million to clean all of this up. The recommendation, your users, you wanna have some policies that require that your users have strong passwords, but you also wanna make sure that your, your systems um, use the proper algorithms to, to scramble, to hash, and to salt, the technical terms hash and salt those passwords when you store them, such that even if your database was compromised somehow, 
people, people's passwords are not gonna be stolen. All right, just checking out, I can see we're still good on time. A lot of apps these days, we, we leave a lot of our lives on the web. And this is particularly true as well for small businesses. What happened in this case was basically an, a web app that had authentication, an authentication screen, but it was possible to bypass that screen. That means there were some pages, there were some functionalities that were not properly connected to authentication. So if you just went to those functionalities, you didn't have to authenticate. And so this, in this case, there was there's this company that provided IT automation services to thousands of businesses, many of them small businesses. And when attackers were able to bypass authentication for this item automation tool, they were able to put ransomware on over a thousand businesses, many of them small businesses, requesting $50 million in ransom. Thankfully, they didn't expect their customers to, to take care of that. So the, the item automation company, I, I, most, I, I guess they paid the ransom because a few days later on, um, they had a decryption key. They didn't tell anyone how they got the decryption key. Usually you gotta pay for it to get that. The recommendation here, your web apps, as you build them out from design to the coding, to the testing, there should be, security should be baked in. How you architect and design the web apps, how you develop it and how you test it. Weak authentication methods. So in this example, uh, we there was a VPN passwords that were allowed to, they were used to enable remote workers, but the authentication method did not support multi-factor authentication, uh, such that if somehow a password for this authentication got compromised, people will have access to the network, and that was the that was the access that got attackers into this colonial pipeline that you might have heard about some year, um, was it just late last year um, in the US where it ended up at least for, for some days, uh, the company had to shut down the power lines. People were without power in, in large parts of uh, Texas as an example. Simple example here, depending on the sensitivity of your apps, you should allow multi-factor authentication such that passwords are not enough for people to log in to your system. Oftentimes, when we think about internal networks, even so now we're not even talking so much about the cloud, we're talking about just the networks, maybe uh, your physical office. We often think that those networks are secure and that we, we can send sensitive data across the network internally without encrypt, using the right encryption protocol, say like TLS. Uh, but that is wrong because once the advice is that you should, you should probably operate like your internal network has been compromised. Uh, because of the way actors are in the world today, uh, it's, it's good to operate as though your internal network has been compromised. That does not mean some crazy paranoia. That just means that one is sending traffic with secure methods and secure protocols, even within your internal network. So an example here is with Sony. Um, it, it came to light that it was very likely that attackers had access to their network for over a year before um, they first doing what they did with the movie that was about to come out uh, some years ago. And it cost Sony about $35 million to clean all of this up. Recommendation, assume your network has been compromised. What does that mean? As much as possible, especially for software vendors that you bring into your network, you should require that the traffic that is sent amongst apps in your network 
go over encrypted channels. Even employees should be considered people. Uh, if we're gonna be holistic, should be considered as an entry point in terms of their, uh, an attack point to our systems. Uh, so one problem that we usually have is giving employees broad access to sensitive data. That can be very dangerous. Uh, in this example, we have um, a, a company that their employee, for whatever reason, maybe he didn't get the raise he wanted, or maybe he got fired, and for whatever reason, he released the salary and bank details of hundreds of thousands, I think over 100,000 staff. Uh, this company ended up having to pay compensation to thousands of staff um, whose details have been released. Some businesses in that position will go out of business. So the simple principle here as well is that both for, for people, and this even applies to technology components, people and components should have access to data only if there's a need for them to have access to fulfill their function. And you also want to monitor, especially where it's sensitive data, monitor when data is accessed, when data is removed, and do periodic auditing of that data access or removal. And this is the last one that we have in secure data disposal. Uh, so the example we're using here, in the overarching sense, Whenever we're disposing of computers, whenever we're disposing of drives, whenever we're disposing even of printers that we've used in our premises, whereby we've used it to print sensitive data that perhaps is still on the memory of that printer, you should, you should have a policy, a data destruction policy that makes sure that when you're destroying or handing off computers as not useful anymore, or maybe handing them to another employee from an employee that has left the company, you got to wipe that data because as we have in this example, thousands of patient data was on hospitals, disposed drives. They were not using these drives anymore. They essentially kicked them out. And there was a lot of confidential data on those drives. The hospital was fined about $440,000 um, for this leakage. Like I said before, recommendation, data destruction policy, um, and then as much as possible, centralize where you store your data because at least you know it's one place, but when you're doing that, then you still gotta make sure that uh, you don't just assume AWS secures your data because they give you the capabilities to secure your data. All right, so we went through many examples there and the key takeaway in that case is that every, every tech-enabled business, or shall I say every tech-powered business has cybersecurity risk. This is not something you're scared about, it's just the way it is. Um, every home, there's a risk perhaps of being burgled. So similarly, every tech-enabled business has cybersecurity risk. The question just becomes, how do we address that risk? And I love to use examples. So for instance, every home has the risk of being burgled. That doesn't mean we just leave our, our doors open. That doesn't mean that we put gates around everything if we don't need it, but we do what we gotta do for our situation to protect our homes. And we gotta do the same thing with our cyber systems, with our software systems, with our businesses as well. So we've really come to the end of what we've got for this talk today. But like I said before, it's about you. So 
how about you? What are the cybersecurity concerns that you have? Uh, some of them might be sensitive, so I don't expect us to really go into that right now, but we'd love to help. Uh, please feel free to schedule a call um, with, with me at resiliencecybersecurity.com. Once you get onto the website, you see a let's talk button or schedule a call button. Let's talk about your concerns, your interests. Even that is free, quite frankly. Uh, also, there might already be a service that, uh, that you believe that you need for your software system. For instance, for your cloud app, for example, feel free to go on to residentsoftwaresecurity.com slash services and uh, re request a quote. I would love to talk about it with you and see if there's a way that we can help you. Thank you so much. Feel free to contact me anytime, dam at residentsoftwaresecurity.com. Thanks for listening. Are there any questions? at all before we close out today.